Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 139 of the podcast for February 23rd, 2012. My guest today is Dr. Dave Munch. He is Senior Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer at Healthcare Performance Partners, where he oversees all of their clinical and lean healthcare engagements. And he plays a lead role in new services development and HPP's continuous adaptation to the healthcare industry's ever-changing needs. Dave previously served at Exempla Lutheran Medical Center as their chief clinical and quality officer, where he led their lean applications for more than five years, resulting in substantial improvements in both clinical and non-clinical processes. And one of the reasons we're speaking today, if one, it's just great to be able to interview him, but uh, Dave is one of the speakers at uh, an event I'm very much looking forward to participating in um, as a speaker and I think more importantly as an attendee. Uh, it's called Lean Healthcare Power Day, sponsored by HPP, and it's going to be held um, April 9th, uh, some optional workshops, and then the main day, April 10th, 2012, at the Mandalay Bay Resort in Las Vegas. Um, so I'll be speaking, uh, Charles Haygood from HPP, Nada Grunden, who I've interviewed here on the podcast, a good friend of mine and a great lean author, um, Dr. Munch, um, and others including uh, a real hero of mine and a great speaker, Dr. Rick Shannon from the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center. Um, so for more details and to find a link, go to leanblog.org slash 139, leanblog.org slash 139, and you can get more information. There'll be links about how you can find out more and go and register. So as always, I want to thank you for listening, and uh, thanks for taking time out. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us here today on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. No, I was wondering if you can start off as guests usually do. You know, if you can introduce yourself and, and some of your professional background and what you're doing today here for the listeners. Sure. My name's Dave Munch. I practiced internal medicine for about 20 years in the Denver area and then made my way up through the ranks of, of chief medical officer and, and eventually chief of operations and quality at Exemplar Lutheran Medical Center in the Denver area. And we had very robust uh, performance goals, and I had read about some of the earliest of adopters around lean and thought that we really weren't going to be able to achieve our aggressive goals unless we fundamentally changed how we did our work and how we uh, changed the environment and the process. So I, I actually implemented lean in the exemplar system, and over the course of five or six years' time, was able to have some very satisfying very satisfying and engaging results with our staff. And, and so I, I, was, I took that on as a passion and eventually made my way towards advising and, and um, helping other organizations in lean full-time. And I've been doing that for the past two, two and a half years with, uh, with healthcare performance partners. And so I'm curious to hear when you got started with lean at Exempla, what, what was the time frame for that? The time frame, we started lean in 2004. Yeah, so that's relatively early on compared to a lot of uh, other organizations. Yeah, it, it might have been the second wave, if you will. Yeah. And you, know, I'm, I'm, you mentioned your specialty is internal medicine. Uh, some of those others that were starting, you know, maybe just before then, um, other physician leaders, um, John Toussaint, um, 
Dr. Gary Kaplan. Um, so Dr. Chisant, Dr. Kaplan, uh, Dr. Jack Billy, I know at the University of Michigan, they're also all internal medicine specialists. Is there is there any special, is there something about the training, I'm, I'm curious, of internal medicine that um, make, make, makes you, you know, tend toward lean thinking? That's a, that's a, it's a great, it's a great association. I'm not quite sure, although yeah. I do know internists are tasked with understanding complexity, and, and one can argue that probably one of the most complex organizations out there is a hospital organization and the healthcare system. So yeah. maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, I've heard, I forget who, but at least one of those other internists say that, you know, in internal medicine, you're taught to look at, um, you know, the, the whole body and person is a system and you're not just looking at, uh, at one piece. So maybe that's a good transition into lean. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and that I think is, that's probably a very critical topic to discuss, Mark. Um, as we, as I've seen a number of organizations look at lean, first of all, we're, we're seven or eight years down the road from hospitals starting to use lean, and a number of hospitals have had the opportunity to at least introduce their organizations to it or to dabble in it. And we're seeing a lot of struggle because I think a number of organizations fail to understand the difference between the tactical tools, approaches to lean, and the system of lean. And it's only in the system, I believe, that you can, frankly, sustain your results and achieve what you really want to achieve. Now, and that's a familiar theme. Um, you know, listeners in the manufacturing world may say, that's exactly what the manufacturing world, lean manufacturing world went through, or in some cases is still going through. Um, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, if you can expand on that. When you talk about the system of lean, um, how, how do you define that when, when you're teaching people or, or based on what you've done in your experience? Well, I think the the best way for me to describe it to, to people learning about this is to, to do, if you will, I begin with the end in mind exercise. And in, in, a, in a mature lean organization or continuously improving organization, what you want the frontline staff to be doing is to be doing the work as intended, to be doing the standard work. And as things come up in complex organizations, if a defect or a problem occurs, that they see it as quickly as possible and surface it so that it can be addressed. So frontline staff needs to do the standard work, surface problems, and to be able to solve problems to root cause as close to the work as possible. So if that's what we need frontline staff to do, that in part defines what we need management to do such that that can happen. Managers need to have the ability to be in the work far more than they are at least in a clinical management setting, such that they can observe the work, see when struggles are occurring, and, and coach their staff with respect to the standard work and the way things should be done to recognize when overburden or, um, or unevenness is occurring and to address it. They also need to be in a position to measure the work. And, and we're talking timely, effective measurements, measurements that let you see normal from abnormal as quickly as possible. And that does not have to be complex. That can be actually very simple. An example of that might be this. Let's say, let's say a hospital is working on discharges before noon. All right? So, so that is the goal. That is the metric. So what a manager could or should be doing here is tracking how many of my patients are indeed discharged before noon and how many of them are discharged after noon. 
And if they're discharged after noon, what are the common reasons why that occurs? What are the reasons for those defects? That takes All that takes is a pencil and a paper where you put a tick mark in one column if they were discharged before noon, a tick mark in another column if it was afternoon, and then a tick mark into one of the more common causes. How much time does that take? It takes a few seconds. We're not talking about onerous amounts of time. Yet the information you can glean from that can be extraordinarily effective. Over the course of, let's say, a month, you look at your reasons for discharge this afternoon, your reasons for defect, you see the most common cause, and that gives you the information to do problem solving around that defect category. And, and so what we need to uh, evolve our managers into are people who, who are comfortable with setting up effective measures, managing to those measures, and importantly, having the time to do so. All right? So if that's what we need managers to do, oh, and also managers need to be able to orchestrate and facilitate or, or see to it that improvement occurs, larger level process improvement. So if that's what we need managers to do, that in part defines what we need the executive leadership to do. They need to, first of all, be able to clarify true north. What are the select, defined, and reasonable sets of goals of this organization that everyone should be trying to advance to and, and improve performance in? And they have to see to it that the frontline staff knows about those goals and, as importantly, uh, knows what their role is in advancing those goals. All right? They also have to be able to see to it that the management layer gets developed in the management responsibilities I talked about earlier. One of the biggest aspects of that is taking away the overburden that occurs in middle management. I, I swear, middle management in the hospital setting is in crisis. Those are the most overworked people I've ever seen. And unless you redeploy their work, you won't be successful. If you simply layer these responsibilities on the tasks they're already doing, they will give them the same amount of attention and time they're giving other tasks, which is not enough. You must take waste out of the manager's work. You must redeploy their time such that they have a reasonable ability to observe and to coach the front line. So in a nutshell, that is, if you will, the system of lean that has to occur. If any of those areas aren't working, then the other areas falter and struggle. And so as you're going into an organization, as you're working on performance improvement, um, using learning by doing, you need to be able to pay attention to what the manager's responsibilities are and what the executive team's responsibilities are with respect to the process improvement. Um, the easiest people to convert, I swear, the easiest people to convert are the frontline staff. <laughs> yeah. They love this. They, they love the fact that somebody is finally asking them about what the problems are and empowering them to achieve solutions. They're not really the struggle. The biggest struggle I see is management and executive leadership. And, yeah, I think that's a very true point when you say, you know, it's the frontline staff um, that get excited about this. You know, I've been in a lot of organizations where, you're talking to people about lean or even you know, the first level or two of, uh, of management. And people say, well, yeah, this makes sense. And then they start thinking, well, what about our senior leaders? You know, how do we are, you know, are they also going to change or how do we how do we get them involved? And so when, when you look at some of these ideas like 
being out there to you know to see the work and and some of these different behaviors um what what do you, what do you find that's effective i mean if you were to go into an organization that really had you know nothing happening in terms of lean thinking or, or lean principles um are, are you able to start does it have to start at the top in terms of modeling some of those behaviors um i'm curious to hear some of your experiences and, and thoughts from the senior leader side first no, I, I do think the senior leaders have to be modeling this uh, as close to the front end of this initiative as possible. Um, you can do some work on the front lines. You can get started uh, on the floors. But unless you have the senior leadership um, paying attention to that work, um, the work tends to lose steam. So, yes, I think the leadership has to be engaged from the get-go around this work. Uh, I, mean, I was going to ask, do you find a lot of senior leaders are – you know, it's maybe hard to generalize or put a percentage on it. I'm asking oversimplifying the question, but you know, I mean, how how many senior leaders are you finding right now who are receptive to that message as opposed to you know just wanting to sponsor lean and say, well, you know, it's just that's something my people are going to do as opposed to being directly involved in. Well, I tell you, I would I would say about half of the leadership, maybe half of the leadership at most, from the front is receptive to this level of their change. Um, what we see in a number of organizations is they, they know they want it to happen. They don't necessarily appreciate that their jobs have to change around this work. Um, and, and what we see is oftentimes an organization has to struggle or fail outright before the executive leadership reflects upon their role and is willing to change. Um, it, it's probably the most difficult group to change within these layers I talked about. And, and frankly, a 50%, I might be giving them more credit. It's, it's quite a struggle. Yeah. I mean, it might be 50% that you're already talking to about lean, which may be yet a subset of the broader executive population out there. I don't know. Um, I'm curious, I mean, if you can reflect on your own experiences from the C-level back at Exempla. I mean, did, did you have uh, good mentors or, or coaches? You know, John Tucson always talks about the great C-level mentors he had, even from other industries. Um, who, who was it that helped um, get that message through to you, or did it did it just you know, sort of seem to come naturally uh, to you? Well, I, it, I, I wish it had come naturally to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I did have some very good mentors in the work. Um, the first mentor I had was um, a guy named Bob Malty, who actually worked for John Toussaint earlier. As a matter of fact, he was the one who, helped give us insights as to how do we change our environment. He had been a senior vice president at ThetaCare, and then we hired him as the CEO of, of our area. And uh, so he was a wonderful mentor around this work for me. Um, I also was able to have some good sort of close relationships with, with some others that I, I would pick their brains on. Uh, John Shook, who is now at LEI, he, he, was, he, was, he gave me a number of gifts of, of time um, to um, to teach me in the way he teaches around what lean is really about. And, and, and between John and Bob and actually many others, um, I was able to be able to sort of stay on track with respect to the right way to organize this work versus going down some rabbit holes. And, and probably the best mentor I had were the mistakes I made. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you have to, you have to be comfortable in trying things and learning from mistakes. And you have to have an environment by which that's okay. 
and um, Bob Malte allowed an environment by which, as long as you were genuine in your intent and tried, the mistakes were something to learn from, not something to uh, be blamed for. So um, the environment has to be there as well as the coaches and mentors around development. And I think coaching and mentoring is, is absolutely critical for each of these levels. Um, the executives have to coach and mentor the management layers, and the management layers have to coach, coach and mentor frontline staff and frontline supervisors. It's a, that, that function of, of teaching and learning is critically important throughout the organization. And so I'm curious to dig a little deeper in some of the things that you brought up, and, and you know, you're doing more of the, the mentoring and, and coaching now. Um, one thing is, I, I guess, uh, to hear your thoughts on the idea of surfacing problems. You know, there's a great lean expression you know, that talks about you know, either no problems is a problem or you know, sometimes people say you know, problems are treasure. Um, why, why is that such a you know, powerful kind of statement and, and why is that difficult, perhaps maybe specifically within healthcare, um, to try to shift the culture in that direction? Well, I tell you, that it's critically important in lean, and, and I've also done work in patient safety, and it's critically important in, in that as well. And, and, and creating an environment by which it is safe to surface problems uh, is, is an absolute necessity, and it needs its own special amount of attention. And in the patient safety arena, you, you, you talk about some of the, the mentors around that work, David Marks and James Reason and others around how do you how do you surface problems and support people in doing so? The same thing is true for lean. Indeed, I, I swear that the the most the most the most necessary aspect of improving your work is to recognize your defects and to work on them. Um, problem solving is at the core of what lean does, and you can't solve a problem that you don't see. Hmm. And, and so what that looks like for us is we've had to be somewhat intentional about that. We, we already had some momentum when we launched Lean because we had launched a good amount of concerted what's called safety culture work, where we actually uh, created standard work around how do we show up when somebody makes a mistake. And that standard work was based upon what was the intent of the person when, they were, when this happened, what was the skill set of the person. And if somebody had the right intent, um, and yet they needed skills. Well, that said, well, that means we have to coach them. Um, if they had an, uh, some some problem with intent, we had to let them know what the what the expectations of the organization were. But if you recognize this as um, people's intent, and that the majority of mistakes occur not by virtue of any single person's action, but a series of actions based upon a flawed process. Um, you can go to the place where you create the environment by which good people who will always make mistakes get protected from their mistakes by virtue of the processes and the checks and balances you put into place. So we, we did a lot of work around patient safety first, and so we had less of a struggle in having our staff comfortable with surfacing problems that we could use A3 thinking on or, or other forms of uh, uh, addressing the problems themselves. Yeah, and I th that's where, I mean, I think there's a lot of um, conceptual overlap between the patient safety movement, you know, more specifically ideas like just culture, you know, looking at, at systems and processes versus individual responsibility. I mean, I think, you know, one of 
one of the reasons people get afraid to bring up errors is that they fear being punished or losing their job or other you know, situations like that. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, do, do you have an example where, um, either, you know, a situation where leaders have, you know, sort of come around um, to reacting differently or, you know, what, what are some of the, the key specific lessons? For example, if you were talking to a C-level leader, what, what do they do, need to do specifically to help encourage people raising issues and, and focusing on systems? Well, I think, I think a great approach for a senior leader to do is to know A3 thinking and know how to coach it. So, so as a problem comes up, what a leader doesn't want to do, and I, and I tell you, I had the, as a physician, I was taught to have answers, um, that I had to unlearn that behavior to be effective in this role. But what a, what a senior leader needs to do is when a problem gets surfaced, the senior leader needs to ask that person what their thoughts are with respect to the problem. What, are the, what is the problem that we have? And to encourage that person to investigate the problem. Um, have you talked to people who witnessed this problem? What are the upstream and downstream handoffs? Have you talked to them? Have you observed the problem? In other words, getting to know the problem thoroughly enough by which you actually know the real problem versus the perceived one. So I think a great model for leadership around problem solving is to, to go to A3 thinking almost exclusively and drive the problem solving to as close to the front line as you can versus you telling people what to do. And, and those are great thoughts and maybe you know, a final question. I mean, we talk about um, A3 thinking, and especially as, as John Shook um, teaches it and lays it on his book, um, um, you know, he talks about it takes two to A3, and that sort of coaching and, and mentoring, um, that, that collaborative problem solving, going to the Gemba or where the work is done, um, that's time consuming. And I know one thing you know, I often hear as uh, a barrier, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts if you know, um, you know, a C level leader says, Well, that, that all makes sense, Dave, but I'm really busy, I don't have time. Um, what, what, what's your advice on trying to you know, reconcile that or, or resolve that conflict? Well, it, it, it sort of comes in the, in the principle of go slow to go fast. What the executive doesn't realize is by not taking the time up front, they create all kinds of distractions for them later on down the road. And, and one of my favorite comments around this was actually a, a quote by John Toussaint who said, I spend so much of my time uh, helping put out fires only to realize that I was the arsonist. <laughs> and, and in the context of what he was talking about, it was unless you spend, if you spend the five minutes or the 10 minutes up front coaching your staff around finding the cause of the problem or the, the problem itself and its cause, that will save you two to three to four times that amount uh, down the road. And it's, it's getting the executives to try it, and to experience that result. Uh, another, another, I think, appropriate sort of um, description of this comes from, from John Shook. I heard him say about four years ago, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. And, and if you can get the executive team to try out A3 thinking and to spend some time coaching others, the light bulbs will go off. They will be able to see the advantages it brings. But early on, you're right. You're going to see manifestations of resistance around, I don't have time. 
you're going to see the same thing with the manager layer as you look at their work as well. That the first thing they will tell you is, I don't have time. And that must be addressed intentionally. And hopefully from some of that early experience, like you're saying, you know, uh, at first it's a, a leap of faith, but then hopefully through practice they can see the types of things that um, where they're freeing up time and, uh, you know, that, that time put in lean process and, and that style of coaching ends up being good, not just for the organization and the patients, but um, for the sake of their own time balance and management as well. Um, so, Dave, you know, I want to thank you for, for taking time to um, do the podcast today. I mean, maybe we can do another one down the road and um, dive deeper into one of the great topics and, and themes that you've brought up. Oh. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing you uh, at um, the Lean Healthcare Power Day um, on April 10th. Um, you're presenting um, Dr. Rick Shannon from University of Pennsylvania, who's a real uh, hero of mine, uh, Nada Grunden, who I've interviewed here on the podcast. Uh, somehow I snuck in the door and, and got on that list, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to that day and hearing more of what you and the others have to say. Well, Mark, it was great to talk with you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that conference as well. There's some, there's some powerful speakers there, and I think hopefully some good insight. People will walk away with some good insight. So uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, looking forward to it. And thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.